0: TED Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. I am Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. I'm excited to welcome to Talks for this episode, Stephanie Zvars, who is a high school theater teacher at Rolling Meadows High School in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. Stephanie, welcome to the program. And uh, I'd love to hear kind of your journey to where we are right now in your career and and just finding out a little bit about you and and your current program.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on this podcast Um, and I have just really enjoyed listening to your dialogues with other folks. Um, So I am currently the teacher at Rolling Meadows High School and do our theater program. Uh, Prior to this, I worked at Conant High School and then prior to that actually in the Chicago theater industry. Um, Did some directing, some script supervision, you know, the the glorious unpaid internships and that kind of thing. Um, And I think education was always kind of integral to what I was doing as a performing artist and as an artist. Um, I really enjoy working with high school students, so it seemed like kind of a natural fit when kind of when trying to figure out where I wanted my career to go to wind up in education. So while I was working um, and interning and had my survival job, I was also doing my master's degree for teaching and that got me back into the classroom. And so right now our program, um, I teach all the different acting classes at Rolling Meadows and then help with and do our extracurricular theater program.
0: Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about um, about the students you work with and uh, a little bit about like uh, your your programming and your, your classes and the types of shows you do with them.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, the students at, at Rolling Meadows are, are extraordinary um, i'm sure any any good educator has that special connection with their students but um, one of the things that i think really makes students at rolling meadows just remarkable is the passion um, and drive for creation and leadership that they all strive for um, so i guess specifically this year this is this will be my second year at rolling meadows um, so we do a fall play like a pretty traditional some kind of standard audience fall play uh we do a radio play which um last year we did it's a wonderful life this year we're shaping up for a murder mystery but it's a really cool opportunity for students especially our tech students to create sound effects from scratch from the ground up and work with our actors so it really becomes this amazing tactile and audio three-dimensional experience i think for them and for our audiences Um, This year, in particular, we're going to be doing uh, devised work that we're calling Around the Kitchen Table. I think uh, a lot of our young folks have a lot of things to say about what's going on in the world around them. And I think, especially compared to when I think about myself in high school, they're a lot more engaged Mm -hmm. in the way that the world works than I was. And so this will be a devised ensemble piece in which our group of students that get cast will come together to write a series of scenes and monologues and do them for small audiences, kind of theater for small audiences kind of situation. And then we also do an improv show and a musical that'll hit up our spring semester. So that kind of is what our program looks like. And then we offer an acting, a preliminary like acting one class, and then an advanced acting class that covers kind of acting two through five and beyond. It's a stacked and repeatable class. So that's a lot of fun. And then I also teach Fine Arts Workshop, which is a a really cool class. It's a collaboration between special education um, and the acting program in which we work with students who have different social needs um, and pair them up with mentor students that we teach social communication skills through acting. So that's just been a total joy to co-teach that class. Um, And then we also have new this past year and this year, a program for our EL students who are learning English as a second, third or fourth language to develop confidence um, and positive communication skills in English language. And that's what our, our theater program looks like.
0: That is awesome. Uh, there's a lot I wanna get into from what you just shared about all that. So um, <laughs> I hope you're ready to dig into that with me. Um, oh yeah. First, I would love to hear a little bit about how your, uh, your professional work um, in Chicago theater um, impacts or prepped you for what you're doing now.
1: Sure. So I worked um, with several different theater companies kind of over the course of a couple years. And some of the things that I took away, again, I worked with CollaborAction out on um, in Logan Square. And one of the things that I really learned from that experience is the power and impact that communities can have on creation of theater and how I think theater is a communal practice something that we turn to not only for artistic fulfillment, but also for creative community. Uh, It's art as a tool of healing, art as a tool of change. And I think that that has prepared me really beautifully to be in the classroom, because so much about a high school theater program is creating that community. You know, students are coming in, obviously, to do the play and to have fun. uh, But I think a lot of them are striving to find their friend groups. They're striving to challenge what they know as artists. And so um, the work that they did was particularly influential there. Um, And then also, you know, Chicago is a huge devised theater community. People are creating new work all the time. Um, And I think that that has really prepared me to better equip students to then go out. So theater you know, changes constantly. And I think it's really important that we prepare high school students for what the theater market looks like now, right? So not everyone is going to wind up on Broadway and not everybody wants to, mm-hmm. but I think in a traditional theater education, that's kind of what we're preparing them to do is to audition, get into a professional theater and that's what the job is. Um, but I think all of the different devised and creative ensembles that I've seen and worked with in Chicago have really set me up to prepare students for what that career path could look like for them.
0: You, uh, from from what I'm hearing, there's a there's a thread of uh, of social justice kind of running through your work, and uh, I I very much appreciate what you shared a moment ago, where you you're seeing students, uh, your students specifically, and and I've I've experienced that with my students as well is their their engagement um, in what's going on in the world, and and their passion about um, being involved and, and doing their part. Um, what, uh, how do you see, how do you experience them reacting and, um, um, reacting to the work that you're, you're, you're creating with them with the devised work and the, the social justice pieces?
1: Sure. I love that. Um, just kind of commentary on, on responsibility that you're speaking about. I think that, um, most markedly, um, a lot of my students are really angry, about the things that are happening. And I think um, theater is a tool of, of processing, of kind of figuring out where their emotions sit. So I think a lot of them are, are really inspired. We did a unit last semester about um, different sort of small storefront theaters in Chicago that are doing amazing work. Um, and students got really intrigued by the fact that there are entire theater companies that devote their work to a specific, you know, like, Latinx issues, and there's Latinx theater companies, there are Black theater companies, there are companies that focus on LGBTQ plus issues. And I think for them, art not only as a vehicle for social change, but also a vehicle for processing their experience has been really valuable. And so I'm looking forward, you know, this semester we'll be doing this devised piece from the ground up. We did some shorter projects in the past, but from the ground up, I'm really intrigued and excited to see what students bring to the table in terms of their experiences and where they can put their voices in their art. And then what that looks like to put in front of an audience, because I think, you know, there's a, there's a huge difference between doing something for yourself and then doing something. How do we make this an accessible audience experience where we invite them to engage in this conversation?
0: Yeah. I, I get to teach a, um, and you've, you've probably heard me talk about it on the show, the uh, a theater for social change class at ISU and amazing it's, and I, I can. I was reading back over some of my my course evaluations and, and feedback from the students about it, and it is one of their favorite classes that they get that they can take, and they and it, and they and it's just for that very reason that you just shared. Is they, you know, we we train we're, they're in a training program to go, like you said, into the professional world and work in a theater as an actor, or director, or designer, and and uh, the, it it really just opens their mind to doing something beyond just for me. And, and, and I think that really aligns with their feelings right now of, of their sense of responsibility to society and, and the world as a whole.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's amazing that you're able to offer that class for them um, at the collegiate level. Right. What what the implications, I think, of a, a college level class look a little different than what we're mm-hmm. allowed to do in high school. Um, and students are really ready I, I'm you know to engage with that work and, and challenge themselves in that way. So I, I love that that is a continuation and part of that professional experience. Yeah. You know It's expected that you do that before you get into the real world.
0: Yeah. And, and what one of the things I personally love about it is how much I learn from them yes. and, and how oh, much yeah. I learn about their experience and, and their view of the world right now. So that's that's always just one of the the joys of that class that, that I get to see. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your, your devising work. Um, and I, I know you're working on that piece um, this semester with your students. I believe you called it a, Around the Table.
1: Yeah, Around the Kitchen Table. Around the Kitchen um, Table. Or around the Table. I think that, you know, literally with the, the metaphor of the kitchen table, um, I think that having your voice be a valued part of a conversation is something that we don't get enough of. You know, we think about how many voices have been ignored, shut out um, or, you know, heard and disregarded. Just listening isn't necessarily enough at this point. And I think that's really important is that you're not only being heard, but action is then being taken. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind the kitchen table is that we're inviting audience members, we're inviting students, we're inviting faculty to pull up a chair to our table and put these issues on the table and talk about them. So what I'm I'm kind of envisioning and planning to do this, and you know, with any kind of devised work, you could start with a plan, you kind of have a structure in place, and then all of a sudden, uh, none of that matters anymore. (laughs) Um, But the idea is that students are choosing issues that are important to them. They're conducting research on those issues, be it first-person interviews and research with other folks who have experienced it. It could be historical research and references to things that have happened in the past. And then we're putting together this sort of series of scenes and monologues um, from the student's perspective. And this could be something that a student has experienced firsthand or something that they're really intrigued and engaged by and, and hoping to do more work in. And so through that, we'll be putting together this um, series. And one of the things, you know, in the Zoom era of theater, here we are, Um, the idea of bringing in live audiences into smaller breakout rooms for them to experience these monologues, you know, with an audience of 10, and then rotating the monologues through so folks are getting a full theatrical experience, but maybe in a different way. You know, Theater for One had had a really cool resurgent moment, I think, in the last couple of years in Mm -hmm. Chicago Theater. site-specific stuff where small audience groups were rotating between rooms. So I was really intrigued by that because who has a kitchen table conversation with 200 people Right. In the audience? You know, there's something really intimate and powerful about experiencing that that monologue or that moment with 10 other folks. Um, and And the dialogue that can be sparked by that, I think, will be you know, hopefully really moving for our students to be able to process, but also engaging for our audiences and motivating for them to also engage just like our students are.
0: Yeah. Are, do you have a, a particular um, like stimulus or starting point for your students to start working with or are you allowing them to come to the table with those ideas and, and create that?
1: Mm-hmm. I think um, we'll, in, the, in our early stages, we'll be doing kind of a lot of brainstorming, a lot of spark sessions where students, I think there's a lot of things that they feel a lot of things about, mm-hmm. um, but sort of then picking one, right? What issue could you really effectively and meaningfully unpack? And it takes a lot of work, not only, you know, physical research work, um, but emotional labor, too, mm-hmm. you know, for our students of color that'll be unpacking generational trauma, and experiences that are incredibly personal to them. You know, that has to be done, I think, in a really delicate way. So I feel like through those sessions, students might come to the realization that, like, hey, I I need to be careful with this issue, or, you know, I feel really passionately about this one, but I don't know that I could could do this in this way, or I do want to do this, I need to do this work. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully through kind of a guided touch point, It'll really be student-driven in what they're able to choose their topics on and about. Um, And I think, you know, from anything racial, environmental justice, LGBTQ plus issues, poverty, right? We could go any number of ways, but I think they're all kind of part of our kitchen table umbrella.
0: There's two things I wanna, I wanna ask you about with what you just yeah. shared. Um, one is a personal passion of mine and my husband's and that's um, the, the trauma-informed teaching and, and for myself, trauma-informed directing practices. Um, I'd love to know um, what are some of those, those safeguards and things that you put in place to, to help protect your kids as you're working with them with that, um, with that meaningful and um, potentially triggering material?
1: yeah i think um focusing on those triggers i think is really important acknowledging and especially you know we're working on a zoom context so we don't necessarily have the you know it's so easy and I, as an educator you know this you can be in a class and a student can be you know nodding along but like clearly something isn't mm-hmm. sitting right and you can have that nice moment after class where you're able to check in and make sure that that student is okay or connect them with resources that they might need And so I think particularly over Zoom, it's going to be uh, a lot of individual work and conversations that I'm having with them. Um, I'm planning to make use of some of my friends who are in the social work and psych fields to make sure that we've got some backup, right? That people are aware of what it is that we're doing. Um, It'll be labeling things so that students know clearly, here's what we're going to engage in, here's what we're going to do. Um, At the beginning of the process, I'm planning on going over um, several trips, I think from trauma-informed teaching practices, just from articles that I've read um, online and and people that I've connected with about how we process Mm -hmm. um, and what we can do if we wind up in a situation that gets a little over our head. And knowing that it's okay to step back, take breaks, process in this way, ask for help, find another resource. Um, and so hopefully between building that trust and open dialogue, it'll be something that students can use as a framework to help protect them, but also allow them enough space for artistic creation as we go through and hopefully wind up being a really empowering experience for them and one that they know they're supported going through.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I, I firmly believe that whereas we as theater teachers sometimes, May play the role of parent counselor, you mm-hmm. know that kind of thing. We have to remind ourselves we we're, we're not those trained mental health professionals, and we have right. to we have to um, work continue to work and add tools to our toolbox to to support our kids in healthy, appropriate ways. But also know yes. when to say, "I can't do this. Let me get you the help that, uh, from someone who can." Um, right and i just i think it's extremely important and i think the work that you're doing is important but i appreciate very much the the intentionality that you're having with um, supporting your kids and 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 providing them that that structure and that that support along the way so thank you
1: yeah i hope that i you know with any any of us even even the best intentions can, can be really challenging. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really important that students also know, you know, how many times do we encourage them, like ask for help when you need it, but then to also follow that advice myself yeah. and acknowledge that, Hey, there'll be moments and opportunities where I'm going to need help with this as well. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that help is provided.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, my other question that came from that discussion, um, because I have seen on so many, Um, social media posts um, in the last several months of teaching theater is not political and and whereas I know i I, you all (laughs) listening can't see the faces that were just made by both of us but (laughs) um, (laughs) there were faces made (laughs) there were (laughs) um the about how I believe it is and how do how do you um, as a teacher working with those specific topics and and working with your kids in 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 those environments and, and places of creation? How do you walk that that line of mm-hmm. of politics and teacher and and where to keep <laughs> yourself separate from it and all that? Because that's a challenge for especially new teachers, um, and yes, then especially in the yeah. time that we are right now.
1: It's, and you know, I, I think I agree with, with you very much in the, in the sense that like teaching is inherently political, but I think the problem isn't necessarily with teaching being political. I think it's with the way that our society uses the word political. Um, I also teach English and I, I have um, an undergrad degree in English and theater. And I think language is so incredibly important. Um, the fact that, and you could take a word like feminism, right? You know, prime example. People get um, up in arms by what they assume feminism means, and from that, any kind of work moving forward winds up devolving. And so I think when, when we talk about politics or we think about this is political, we automatically associate it with the government, right? And how whatever you feel about the government, that winds up coloring your entire perspective of what's going on. And so I think um, kind of connecting that with the interpersonal relationships that you wind up building between people, we always um, understand for better, for worse stories that we are connected to in some way, right? So even though as as a white woman, I don't have firsthand experience as to what it's like to be a person of color in any way, shape, or form. However, when I connect with friends who are kind and... Um, are willing to share their stories um, on their own accord, I wind up connecting and, and deepening my relationship and my work in that way. But we, we as human beings are a storytelling culture. So I guess tying all of those threads together, it's sort of like um, I, I don't necessarily think removing the politics is the right word, but connecting the stories of people, it becomes a personal thing. So we're not hearing necessarily uh, the politics in the traditional word, but we're hearing the stories of the people that matter. And if someone's life or story is politically unacceptable or winds up, then I think that that means we have a lot more to unpack, that a life is less important than an issue being discussed and so I think it's really about the way that we talk and engage with the issue that is important rather than making a hard and fast judgment call on, well, this is an LGBTQ plus piece, so it's automatically about X. It's like, no, it's, it's actually about the story that we're going in. And so hearing about that experience, I think, maybe is the focus rather than like, we're doing a socially political piece about all of these topics, because I don't know that that's a responsible way to do that if that if that makes sense it makes absolute sense yes (laughs) yeah lots of threads all over the place but hopefully some kind of quilt was made
0: i I believe it was um i'd I'd love to unpack a little bit more about your um your work with your students because again it's it's that that thread of, of social justice but also from your work in the chicago theater that theater is a, a communal practice in place. Um, and the work with the, the exceptional learners and um, English language learners um, in your school. I'd love to hear more about that program because I know lots of teachers out there are either wanting to have that kind of program in their school or have inherited that and don't know what to do with it. Um, so I'd love to hear your experience with that.
1: Sure. I mean, and uh, I claim credit for none of it. I was I was fortunate to begin a, a job in which those two uh, places, practices and classes were already either in place or I was the first teacher to teach them. But um, my, my um, English division chair had come up with the idea. So, um, the, so the fine arts workshop is, is our co-class between special ed and, and acting. Um, and I co-teach with uh, Gina Seaton, who's just an amazing educator. And that the point and purpose of that class is to really expose students to skills that they maybe take for granted. You know, it's easy to teach someone like, okay, so if you're going to the grocery store and you're going to buy this much, how much money do you need? Right. And so that's an easier skill to teach because it's cut and dry, but that interpersonal relationship, you know, how do you read your friend, decide what's wrong and try to help them. Right. Or how do you make a good introduction when you're speaking with someone? Those things require a lot more, um, I guess unwritten rule finesse (laughs) that needs to occur and so the confidence from from teaching them through an acting perspective i think really helps students build confidence in their ability to do those things Um, and obviously acting takes a lot of empathy uh, an understanding of other people's perspectives. And that can be a really difficult thing, right? Mm-hmm. How do you take someone else's perspective, step back and understand what things are like from their point of view? But doing that makes your relationship so much richer when mm-hmm. you have that connection. So that class has really been an exceptional thing. It's been, I think this will be their fifth year doing it. So Um, prior to this, it began in District 214 as like a summer workshop and then expanded to a full year class. And that's what we have now. Um, And then the EL acting class, as I mentioned, Mary Luckritz is the, the amazing brain behind that one. But I think about, you know, did you take a language in high school or college or do you speak another language.
0: Um, I I took the classes. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. We are all like, I have the experience. Don't speak them
0: fluently. I will freely admit that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, that's fine. But I think about, you know, when you were, so I took French and, um, you know, getting up in front of the class to speak, I was putting so much mental energy into how do I say, my name is Stephanie, My favorite color is green and I like books, you know, like just the mental energy consumed by putting the words together in the right structure. My entire personality was gone, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was putting all of that mental energy in just putting the words together. And so I think a, a challenge of being a student that speaks multiple languages is how do you make your personality shine in a language that maybe is less comfortable for you to speak? And so this class provides students with real learning opportunities to get up and be proud of, of their experiences in English and embracing their culture and sort of fusing all of those together in a confidence building way. Um, We took them to several uh, elementary schools last year to perform the monologue book. We have the day the crayons quit. And each student memorized a letter from the book. It's a really cute children's book. And they performed them for elementary school students and then read books with them. And so that experience, you know, elementary school children are great because they get excited about, you know, so many things. So these students were now seeing themselves in a capacity where they were so capable and so talented and so able to do everything with confidence in English and and have fun with it. And so that, you know, was kind of a big part of doing that class is just telling students that, that they are enough and their experiences are so important to them. And that people are so happy to get to know them just as they are. And, you know, so I guess that, that this will be the second year of that class. And hopefully we can continue doing that in the future. But it's been a really beautiful learning experience. And I, I think one that they've enjoyed.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to radio plays. Um oh. And I I love doing them with my students, and and for the exact reasons that you shared earlier, the, the the opportunities for the tech kids, the 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 collaboration with the tech and the actors, and and just the the creation of something that's um, compelling and holds an audience's interest just through the sound that we hear. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your work with that. And, um, I think especially right now in the time that we are, teachers are turning back to radio plays as like, oh, this is <laughs> yeah. something we need to look back at. Um, uh, but talk about that. Yeah.
1: Um, so I, um, First, we we did "It's a Wonderful Life" last year. Um, actually, it's just like a fundraiser, but we did the kind of live in person one. So audiences actually showed up and they watched the actors stand up in front of a microphone and perform it. And then our tech crew was on the other half of the stage doing the audience like the sound effects live and in person. This year, obviously, we're not going to be able to do that, <laughs> but um, we'll be able to do that recorded component where it literally becomes then a stream and audio recording. Um, And I think the thing that I love about that is how foreign it is to students and even for us, you know, like I can't claim any kind of experience firsthand with radio. I mean, I think that the radio has is definitely getting some kind of resurgent moment in in theater. So we do um, we'll have a a group of tech students who stand up and um, put all the sound effects together themselves. They they get the props that are needed. They do the recording. Um, themselves and our actors use their voices. It's also a really cool opportunity to focus on voiceover work um, and kind of adapting a single actor to, to do multiple voices and how do we, you know, we can't physically show what this, that this is a different character. So how do we really make it clear with our voices that someone else is speaking? And so I, I love the opportunity because of how fun it is. It's really like a whimsical form of theater in which um, we, can, we can allow for more creative license that we might scoff at. You know, if someone's doing this ridiculous voice on stage, people might go like, oh, they're a bad actor. But then you stick them behind a microphone and all of a sudden like, oh, that was so cool that they could do that voice <laughs> or that noise. Um, so it's been a fun experiment. I think students have really gotten a, a big kick out of doing it.
0: I just love that it's just part of your, your, your regular season with your kids. I just think that's so yeah, cool. I'm
1: hope- yeah, I'm hoping that it, you know, they got really excited about it last year. And we had a lot of student leadership, you know, step up. Hey, what are we doing for the radio play this year? I was like, great. Yes, let's do another one. Um, but if you have suggestions for radio pieces that you're excited about, you know, please let me know because will, I'm will, definitely a little bit that, newer yeah. in, the, in the game to, to performing them. But they're fantastic.
0: Yeah, I I love doing them. I I use them as um, a a voice unit with my my intro level kids, and it, it blew their mind when they couldn't use their phone to play a sound effect into the microphone. I'm like, no, no, it either has to be created with your mouth or a found object, and they're like, uh, what do you mean? I'm like, exactly what I said. <laughs> yeah. You can't use your phone. So I can't
1: Google, like, what, you know, freesoundlibrary.com That's and right. like, find the horse sound effect or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I love doing them, and I think, it, I think right now is a great time for, for teachers to capitalize on that and, and re-familiarize yourself with them if you yes. don't know what they are or haven't worked with them in a while.
1: And a lot of them are free. Yeah, <laughs> You know, there's, are. like, a lot of archival material that – we can use a study yeah. and that's just readily available online. And you know, it's a great learning experience for students as well.
0: Yeah. I think even one of our local theater companies here in Bloomington is doing one um, oh, great. this fall. Cause you know, they can't produce right now. And they're like, let's pull 30, 40 people, you know, one at a time into a studio and get these parts recorded and mix it and put it out there. So I'm excited to hear what they come up with, with that. Um, yeah, one exactly. of, uh, one of the things that you sent to me, um, of something that you're really passionate about um and that you'd like to talk about is um probably not as sexy of a topic as um many many teachers get into but i think they're so important and i would love to hear about your your work with theater history and dramaturgy with high school students
1: i think it's remarkably sexy <laughs> <laughs> I could, uh, so I, I'm i so passionate about theater history. I love dramaturgy, I love the research elements. Um, this is really what I think um, I didn't know anything about until I got to college, you know, in high school myself, yeah, okay, we read Oedipus and it was like old and then we read like Shakespeare and that was like also old. Um, but I think the thing that is so remarkable about learning about theater history is the context in which these pieces sit, right? So if we tie back to political theater, you know, you think about how many political commentaries Shakespeare has made and how you can read over a Shakespeare play and get something meaningful out of it. But when you understand the context in which it was written, the illusions that he was making, all of a sudden it becomes so much more of a rich, uh, developed, interesting, compelling experience when you know that he's making fun of this political figure or he was making a commentary on this event in his history. So I think that it, it also provides students a really unique opportunity to contextualize what they are doing and why it's important, right? Why do we do Shakespeare shows over and over and over again? Why is Oedipus the only Greek theater piece that most people are or Antigone or something like that? Um, so you know, last semester with my advanced acting students, we did kind of a chronology of theater history. And we started out in Greek theater, worked our way up through the timeline until we got to contemporary theater. We kind of stopped around 1915 in the Provincetown Players because we ran out of time. You know, it could totally be a five-year class. No, I'm kidding. I'm not <laughs> kidding. I would totally do it. Um, but it could totally be a year-long class. But I think the, the coolest thing that students were responding to in teaching that way was like, wait, this is actually really funny. You know, like these, these older pieces, these Greek pieces are hysterical. Right. There's all of these really funny jokes that are being incorporated. Um, We did a little restoration theater and took a look at like William Witcherly and, um, you know, Afra Ben and looking at all of these things. And it's like, wow, these were actually like hysterical. Um, And so I, I feel like demystifying the historical context of a piece again provides us with this rich theatrical experience and it's also part of our history Mm -hmm. right like as theater practitioners like you need to know these things because they build on each other Mm -hmm. right there's artists who've been inspired by each other for hundreds and hundreds of years you look at the structure of a Eugene O'Neill piece which had a reoccurrence of three to five acts and all of a sudden you're speaking to Shakespeare again so I think that students understanding those things not only opens up a new world, but also new career opportunities. Mm. You can be you know, a theater historian, you could get into dramaturgy. It informs a lot more about the world of what theater looks like. And so I think it's really important, not only from a professional perspective to speak about, but also uh, just for students as artists, being effective, intelligent artists you need to know their history. So that's a sexy answer.
0: <laughs> I, well, I'd love to know like some of your tips and tricks for um, making that exciting for the kids.
1: Um, so the the other, I I do a podcast actually specifically for this purpose. Um, not it's actually literature based, but we've done a couple playwrights. Um, these authors, write there themselves. You know, I can't make up the fact that like. Um, J.D. Salinger worked on a cruise ship before he wrote Catcher in the Rye and then decided that he wanted to live as a hermit for like the last 50 years of his life and then wound up getting like falling in love with a woman that he met after reading her stuff in the newspaper. And then they like, got you know, like that's a story that is so weird in its own right. I don't have to do anything to embellish <laughs> it. I just needed to tell them. So I think, you know, we skip the fact that like these authors were human. They did weird things. And that's that's funny. That's really interesting to them, right? When they find out more about um, Shakespeare's life and the fact that, in in trying to transfer the Globe Theater over, in terms of, of who of ownership, his father, you know, takes this piece apart, this theater apart, like piece by piece, and just moves it. So now they own it, right? That's like absurd. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Um, and so I think accessibility really comes into bringing these iconic playwrights down to our level, right? They were people just like us. And so, you know, maybe the next Shakespeare is sitting in my class right now and they just didn't realize that Shakespeare wasn't the bard. You know, he was like this weird, maybe educated dude from England <laughs> writing <laughs> plays about politics and um, that kind of thing. So I feel like it, it, it already exists. It's just a matter of exposure.
0: I, one of my very favorite, uh, teachers growing up um, was my my 10th grade world history teacher who was also my senior year European history teacher and Mr. Caldwell was a master at just that um, what you were just sharing about you know the, there's the there's the timelines the the major events that we, we talked about and wrote about and researched about but my favorites were the moments when he would just throw a one-off line at us about some random thing that this great world leader did um that we didn't know about and he wouldn't talk any more about it he would just throw that little nugget out there because he knew we would all go home and start researching what that was and come back and want to talk about it the next day he was a master at it and it, and it was just that it was it was pulling it down to th- they're people just like us and they they experience things just like us Go figure out a little bit more about them. Let's come back and talk about it another day. I'm not doing that right now. We're going to move on because we got to talk about, you know, the Islam's <laughs> rise war. through the Middle East, yeah. you know? <laughs> but yeah so i appreciate that 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 totally reminded me of mr caldwell when you were talking
1: oh good yeah that's totally brilliant i love that and again you know that puts the the leadership back in student hands yeah right so i that's such a that's such a smart technique to get students engaged and curious in their own learning because yeah how many rabbit holes could you go down on wikipedia you start (laughs) here and then all of a sudden three hours later (laughs) you're in a different planet (laughs) <laughs> learning about things.
0: Yeah, so let's let's talk about your podcast then. Uh, what's the name of it, and where oh, can we sure. find it? And tell a little more how that came to be.
1: Yeah, so it's called Get Lit. <laughs> it's literally about literature, um, and I I was finding I would do these little like introductions with my students when we were starting a new novel, and I noticed that they automatically became much more engaged and excited about the text because yeah, I don't know that there's anything wildly on the surface accessible about like reading The Great Gatsby, which I will stand behind 350% for the rest of my life. Um, But you know, when you can find out about all of these things about F. Scott Fitzgerald and where he comes from, all of a sudden, Great Gatsby doesn't really look like The Great Gatsby. Kind of looks like F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, And boom, all of a sudden, you're not just reading a historical novel, you're kind of reading an autobiography of a really flawed Um, tragic man and like how we all have those experiences you know what's your green light what's that thing that you can't get to but are are yearning for and is it actually as good as you think it is or is it just because you've got the rose-colored lenses on so that is a much more exciting novel than a bunch of rich people in new england doing weird things for a summer and then it's over (laughs) where were you
0: when i read that book in 11th grade where were what? you? Because i i I enjoyed every almost every single novel we read in eleventh grade, which was American lit. Um yeah. and then we got to Great Gatsby, and I just my teacher just dropped the I don't I don't want to say she dropped the ball, but I don't think she was passionate about it. And okay, like I got excited about the Scarlet Letter, but she didn't get me excited about the Great Gatsby. You know. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's if you can get someone excited about the Scarlet Letter, like, although the plot very compelling, that's a tough book, right? that is a difficult read. So that's fantastic. Props to her. Um, so students were, yeah, they were much more engaged. And so I was like, well, why don't I just like record these kind of smaller histories that I do? And so um, I have a really good friend who we did theater together, but he actually went down the engineering path. Um, He's brilliant and and just wonderful. And so we do this together where generally speaking, um, I'll kind of have like a report about the lives of these authors and I'll tell him them, we kind of dialogue back and forth about them. Uh, But yeah, it's kind of a way for us to interrogate who these authors were and and why they do what they do. Um, And so kind of with the new historicism lens, the context matters. And I think that this provides that context. So we've been doing it for, I guess about a year and a half, we've got 70 something episodes just online, get lit, you know, wherever you find your podcasts. And um, we've done several playwrights. We've done Arthur Miller, Eugene O'Neill, Susan Glaspell, Afra Ben, Shakespeare, you know, the kind of big heavy hitters that wind up in curriculum. But it's been a really cool way to explore, you know, deeper into these worlds and why they're still relevant today and, and more so why it matters that they make our lives so be- so much better. You know, reading this interesting literature, I think is still really valuable. So I know people are like, teach living authors, which we should. So why can't we do both? <laughs> you know, um, and maybe making this podcast helps bring those dead authors back to life.
0: Well, I don't know about you, but um, in in working on my podcast, I I initially did it for... Because I wanted to capture stories, I wanted to capture theater teacher stories and and share those stories because we're not alone and we we've all had similar stories and we can relate to someone and typically we're the only person in our building. Um, yes. <laughs> so, it, but in doing doing the podcast, I've learned a lot about myself and mm-hmm. I have added so many tools to my toolbox. Um, and and it's and it's a way for me to keep learning as well. Um, I don't know if you've experienced anything similar to that or if it's just me and that, but I, I've loved the opportunities that it's provided for me.
1: Yes. Oh, a hundred. I think you hit nail on the head, ball out of the park um, with that. Like, uh, you know, I didn't know really anything about audio, And now I have an understanding, you know, about microphones and directions and editing things. And so I think, yeah, it's built my skill set professionally, but has also been really fulfilling in that my relationship with this friend has been deepened. And we've also gone on a bunch of really cool trips together in search of of author history. You know, so we've been, um, we recorded our Eugene O'Neill episode on the ruins of the Provincetown Theater. I think that was probably the most memorable experience I've had because, um, the Provincetown Players is my kind of theater uh, holy grail. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. It's my favorite point in theater history. I'm, I focused a lot on it in college. Um, so being able to record a Eugene O'Neill episode about his life sitting on the ruins of the theater that his work was performed on was just like outstanding. So, you know, even being able to do things like that has really been it's, yeah, taught me a lot about what I'm capable of as a person. It's been a great passion project um, and has also really broadened my horizons. The people we've met um, who are also passionate about these things kind of makes you, yeah, feel a little less alone uh, when you know that there are other people who are like, yes, let's go to this author's grave and, like, look at it. <laughs> or you know, we recorded our Ernest Hemingway episode in Ernest Hemingway's house. And so the stuff like that, where I, I, in my wildest dreams, had never anticipated being able to do that. And a year and a half later, like we are.
0: That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, Now I know you also teach ballroom dance.
1: Yeah. Just workshop classes. (laughs) Um, So how did that come to be? Sorry? How did
0: that come to be and how did that interest spark Um,
1: for you? (laughs) Actually, so the same friend um, who I do the podcast with also my ballroom dance partner. um, We started ballroom dancing together in high school. They would do like a 40s dance and um, where the band and, you know, choir would sing 40s music and jazz standards and things like that. And um, we would, they would hire like people to come teach like basic ballroom dance really quick at the beginning just for fun. So we got started with that and then i started taking ballroom dance classes throughout college um, and did it socially and so then theater fest came along and i was like well why don't i do a ballroom dance class like this was so fun and it's a great way to teach ensemble building trust and communication right because it's literally two partners um, moving around without any verbal communication right your communication is all you know kind of consent and permission with the body And so I thought that that was a great skill because I I do that with my ensembles of students. When we start a play, we always have a ballroom dance day where all of a sudden students are learning ballroom dance skills so they can build trust with one another and learn how to communicate in other ways. So um, I did that, I think, starting toward the end of my college experience at Theaterfest and just have had a... uh, a ball that was bad that was not a good one <laughs> i just had so much fun with it it was it's was just really a pleasure and uh i think students really enjoy kind of the old-timey feeling you know speaking of like radio plays and things like that
0: that's awesome that's really cool i'll have to next time we have theater fest i'll have to have to check out your workshop
1: yes please come <laughs> um
0: so what is, what's one of your favorite stories from your career so far? It could be a funny story, a horror story, one of those poignant moments that really kind of changed you as a teacher and a person, whatever you want to share. Sure.
1: <laughs> I guess um, kind of maybe like a little bit of, of each one of each. Um, when I was student teaching, we were doing a production of Mary Poppins and in Mary Poppins, you know, there's like a huge set piece that's their house. And um, <laughs> it took about 12 tech kids to move it. It was very heavy. It would come on and get pushed off just like in a very linear, like on, down, off, down, you know, very like, um, simple movement, but it was so big, it was really challenging. So one student, um, I'm sitting in the cafeteria kind of like monitoring, making sure kids are where they need to be supervising, et cetera. And a kid comes and is like, like a student like got hurt. And I was like, oh no. So I ran backstage. And um, the student had not been able to move her hand. She'd been holding it and it got the, the top of her finger. So um, she was bleeding, and you know, we had pressure on it, called 911. This was like right before intermission. <laughs> so the ambulance came, you know, she was okay. She she was just kind of in a state of shock because of this injury. And um, the man who was doing the ambulance came over. He's like, um, so where did this happen? And I was like backstage. He's like, okay, we have to go find your finger. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was, just the, it was just the top of her, you know, it was like the top, I don't know, what is this called? Like the top third of your finger or something like that um so we like go backstage and I had my flashlight out and we found it (laughs) and Um, it got sewn on and maybe the most memorable part of this was that I finished student teaching came back the next year to see their show and support the kids and this tech crew student came up to me and she was like Miss Fars, you found my finger thank you (laughs) she thanked me for (laughs) finding her finger (laughs) um so that was just kind of like a weird moment where I was like Okay, only in theater. Um,
0: you but, know that kid is going to use that as a badge of honor going forward, right?
1: Like, yeah, I'll be, I'm will be i the finger finder. <laughs> you know, like you lose, a, you lose a piece of you, I'll help you find it. <laughs> um, you know, and she was fine. They were able to get it on. And yeah, there was no um, long lasting damage. And she was fantastic about it. But it was just kind of one of those surreal experiences where in the middle, I was like, I'm literally looking for a finger. um and then a a meaningful experience um our town is my favorite play of all time i know uh but in the theater community it can have all kinds of like oh wow you know that's saying like your favorite musical is like wicked or oklahoma like everyone knows our town um but i think for many different reasons that it resonates with me with my family experience my history and so um i got to do a production of our town that um really just clicked. It was kind of one of those experiences where the cast came together in a beautiful way. And um, I think the most meaningful experience part of it is that I still get students, this was like three or four years ago, um, coming back and like quoting pieces or speaking about it or asking questions. And so the fact that between that beautiful experience, we, we were able to come together, that, that piece of theater Still has an impact on on kids, and you know I think that that as theater educators is connecting students to something that makes a difference in their lives is one of the reasons that we do what we do. Yeah. You know, there's so many, but I think that that's a really important one.
0: That's great. That's awesome. Um, well, I would love to know because it's a personal passion of mine as well about wellness and how you take care of yourself. Do you take care of yourself? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Great. You know, I might turn this back over to you. I'm just going to get out my notepad and you just fire away. I would love to hear about wellness. Um, No, I think uh, maybe I'm definitely, um, I love nature. I think um, eco-criticism and environmentally sustainable productions are an interest of mine. Um, our entire set on our town was made out of recycled boxes and all kinds of stuff like that. And so I just, I feel like being in nature is maybe one of the biggest ways that I take care of myself when things get really stressful, um, or difficult and that it's so important to kind of acknowledge that you need something that reconnects you, right? Like whatever it is, um, literature, listening to music, being outside, eating a healthy meal, you know, finding something that that grounds you is probably is maybe my my biggest component of wellness so spending time in nature has been really important to me um, is tr- kind of the way that i try to take care and i know that tech week is difficult and you can't you, you know you get home at 10 11 o'clock at night and <laughs> you can't really do much at that point other than fall asleep but i think um the practice what you preach thing is what i'm struggling with most you know, we tell our students to take care of them, you know, drink water, eat healthy, make sure you're getting enough sleep. And so one of the things that I'm really trying to work with is setting a positive example for students, right? I also need to be doing that too if I want to be an effective director. Yeah. So taking care of myself is also a way of me taking care of you, right? And making sure that your experience is good. No one likes to work with a cranky director during tech week.
0: Well, and that's so important for us to remember that, you know, we, we it's, it's that oxygen mask, Story that you know, we know we hear all the time. You can't help someone else until you you taken care of you, and and you're most effective when you're at your best with your kids. So mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. Well, Steph, is when there you me your book <laughs> when you've
1: written your wellness book? I'm working on it
0: immediately. Well, my final two questions are the ones I ask everyone, and the first one <laughs> is: What is a resource that you currently use or have used that is um, a must-have for theater teachers?
1: Uh, so I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about this then, you know, like what is that productive resource that exists? What what could really help a teacher out? Um, and I think the, the best answer that I had for this was um, the, the text that speaks to you. Um, the text that you know you can teach and knock out of the park. I think we as theater teachers obviously have a responsibility to teach our students a variety of things. But I also, and you kind of touched on this with your your teachers at, in your high school, there's nothing like getting a lesson from a teacher who's passionate about something, right? So that teacher who loved Scarlet Letter, fantastic. <laughs> you know, if you have that one text that you can really teach um, beautifully, I think it inspires students, even if they don't, you know, they might not like the play, but the way that you teach it makes such an impact on them that I think there are more implications for what that looks like beyond just the text. And so I feel like the most important thing is to find that thing that you're really good at and get really good at teaching it. Yeah. And so for me, that text does wind up being our town a lot of the time. And even if it's not the whole play, pieces of it, I think can teach us not only a lot about American theater history, um, but also what speaks to you. And so I, I guess my, my go-to is, is that text that you're good at. I
0: think is really critical. Yeah. Um, on a, a personal thing, have you, with the work that you're doing with your students this semester, as you were talking about that um, earlier in our interview, um, are you familiar with um, Tectonics Moment Work book?
1: No, I'm that, not. You need but to you will want to writing it down know that immediately. Way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they they took all of their um their work that they do in their workshops and their process for creating work mm-hmm. and put it into a book. And it's got lots of exercises and, and strategies and, and um useful stories of how they created their work to to do exactly what you're you're talking about doing with your kids.
1: That's amazing. and you know, yeah, definitely we've read excerpts from um, you know, Laramie project and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, definitely looking at that this weekend. <laughs> it's a great book. It's a
0: great book. Um, and then my final question for you, or what are your parting words of wisdom for new theater teachers entering the field or that veteran teacher needing a uh, encouraging word right now?
1: Um, well, as a wildly experienced fourth year teacher, <laughs> um, you know, I think the, the, the words of wisdom is to, to always remember why it is, what you do. Remember what, what brought you there in the first place. I think we tend to, um, to quickly take for granted the theatrical experience. And I'm sure every teacher listening to this has that experience with a student who's never done theater before and kind of that moment where they get it. Um, I realized this actually after my first production of Our Town. You know, the strike always comes with mixed experiences, everyone's exhausted and everyone's emotionally drained but everyone's also on this really big adrenaline high from finishing the show. And I had a new student um, who was cast as Doc Gibbs and we finished strike and we're kind of wrapping things up and he just sort of sat in the house of the theater. And I went over to him and I said, Hey, like, how do you feel? You know, that was your first show ever. Like what, how was your experience? And he just looked up at me and said, like, I get it. And just sort of that moment clicked. And I realized like, you know, I've done hundreds of shows, you know, in over the course of my life and it. And I, I kind of forgot what that moment looked like to, to for the first time, feel like you're in a place where you matter, where you've created something that made a difference for someone else, even if it's yourself. Um, and so I think to not take for granted the reason that you're doing theater to remember what put you there in the first place, because keeping that in the back of your head, I think makes this job as beautiful and powerful as it is. is something that in the, in the exhaustion of teaching will always hopefully recharge you.
0: That's awesome. Like I always yeah, say, um, it's the awesome privilege and responsibility and obligation that we have to create that space for those moments just like that.
1: Yeah. I think um, it's a special, it's a special thing. And, to, to be grateful for those opportunities and appreciate them. You know, I can't, I can't really imagine myself doing anything else. I'm sure a lot of us feel that way, but sometimes it, it takes that moment of, of remembering <laughs> to get through the days that are really challenging yeah. and difficult.
0: And I think I those there's important words right now, especially with, um, us not being face-to-face with our kids and, and not being able to create those spaces in our traditional ways. So it's yes. finding those new ways to do just that for them. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that. And Steph, thank you thank you so much for reaching out and, and, and wanting to talk to me and be a part of this. So I love talking with you and um, I, I look forward to working with you more in the future, um, being fellow Illinoisans now. And uh, I, I just appreciate all that you're doing with your kids.
1: Yeah, this has been, this has been such a privilege. And I I think the ability to put things on a table and kind of play with them and look at them from a different perspective is, is really beautiful. So thank you for the opportunity to do this. And I'm, yeah, really excited by the future of, you know, maybe getting to meet you in person one day and and do some work together. It will happen one day. It will. (laughs) Um,
0: And uh, please keep me posted on how uh, things go with, uh, with your students project with, with uh, the device piece this semester. I'd love to, love to hear more about that when you're ready to release that to the world. So thank you for all that you do and uh i hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend and uh, enjoy next week with your kids
1: yeah best of luck with your semester thank
0: you you too and curtain that's a wrap for this week's episode of fed talks podcast thank you so much for listening if you haven't done so already please find fed talks on your favorite podcast provider and subscribe to the show so it automatically shows up in your podcast app each week Rate us by leaving some stars, review us by saying what you love about the show, and most importantly, share the podcast with those theater educators in your life. Find us on all your favorite social media. We're on Twitter at TheaterEdTalks, Talks on Facebook, and Fed Talks Podcast on Instagram. Visit our website at www.thedtalks.com for all our past episodes and resource lists from the guests you've met on the show, and email me directly by emailing FedTalksPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback, recommendations for guests on the show, or if you just want to be a guest yourself. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman, for the use of your original music that we hear on the show. And thank you for listening and for all you do for your students. I'm Jimmy Chrisman. Join me next week for another great interview. Have a great week.